we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Power Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Northern Power Women podcast with the Cooperative Bank. It's all about inspiring career progression. I'm Sam Walker and in this episode we're at Federation in Manchester where we discuss the fabled Queen Bee Syndrome where women don't support other women. We talked about how a mentor can change your life and why getting your voice heard in the boardroom is just a state of mind. We all have a perception, don't we, of what it's like to be in the boardroom. And I always just think it's just a meeting. The big interview is with Maria Kearns, Managing Director of Current Accounts and Savings at the Cooperative Bank. She talks about the power of quotas and her brilliant way of achieving a guilt-free work-life balance. So I stopped looking at my days and saying, am I comfortable that I did everything I can at work and everything I can with um, Francesca, my daughter, and everything I can with my family and friends. I don't do that on a daily basis. I try and take that view over a month or a quarter. Mm. So I'll say, did I get the balance right last month? And in a special Ask the Hive, should a high salary put you off applying for a job that you're sure you can do? It's all down to how you present what experience you have that may be relevant to the job. What makes you think that you can actually do the job? Now, to our discussion panel this time, held at a very special event in Manchester, hosted by the Cooperative Bank, which is all about supporting and inspiring your career progression. Welcome, welcome to a very, very noisy Federation building here for the Cooperative Bank podcast. It's a special edition and we are delighted to be here. We love working with the Cooperative Bank and we've met so many great individuals and it's fantastic to see so many colleagues here today and so many different people represented different parts of the sectors from across Manchester and the Northwest. So you are all very welcome. We have got a great panel today. We have got three amazing role models on our panel from the Cooperative Bank. Um, and then we're going to go into three questions. So the first on our panel is Maria Kearns, who is the Managing Director of Current Accounts and Savings. Maria sits on the Executive Committee of the bank and is responsible for current account savings and payments, delivering excellent customer experience and P&L management. With more than 20 years industry experience, surely not. <laughs> Marie, Maria has the extensive retail banking knowledge with a strong record both strategically and operationally. Significant experience of managing a range of channels and business consistently driving P&L performance. Maria delivers exceptional results through deep understanding of markets and leadership. Welcome, welcome Maria. The next on our panel we've got is Julie Griffin. 
Julie has worked at the bank for over 20 years and has undertaken a variety of roles, providing her with a broad range of experiences during this time. She joined IT and Change in 2017 and is the lead for Women in Finance Working Group across IT. Go Women in Finance. Absolutely. <laughs> Finally, our final panellist on the panel is Louise Brittnell, the Chief Accounting Officer for Finance for the Cooperative Bank. In November 2018, Louise joined the bank's finance team as Chief Accounting Officer, responsible for financial control, financial and regulatory reporting, tax, treasury and finance transformation. That is tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> and quite an alliteration, if you like. <laughs> Louise is a chartered accountant with 18 years experience, a babe, a yeah, babe with only 18, <laughs> in both practice and large financial services organisations. She lives in Stockport with her husband, 21-year-old stepdaughter and sons aged 10 and 5. That's a lively house, isn't it? Yeah, Welcome it to is. our panel. <laughs> Thank you. We are going to go straight into our questions. The government commissioned Rose Review, which examined the barriers faced by women in business, recently found that targeted help for female founders could generate a whopping £250 billion boost for the UK economy. What's your advice on finding the perfect mentor or sponsor and what difference do you think they can make? Maria, we're winging your way to start off with. Thank you very much, Simone. So I'm really lucky. I sponsor the One Million Mentors programme at the Cooperative Bank. So, so we launched it earlier this year. The One Million Mentor programme is a UK programme to ensure that we can find every young person access to a trained mentor. And it, it's kind of a phenomenal idea because it's this idea of reaching out and finding someone who can kind of inspire young people, can open doors for them, can, can form a bridge to where they want to be. And the evidence suggests it, the benefits of it are huge. So what the One Million Mentor Programme has found is that uh, young people who go through this programme are more likely to go to college, more likely to volunteer, more likely to be bigger contributors to society. And, and this kind of um, method of kind of positivity in mentors is something that's really important for women. And, and it's a really important thing to make sure you reach out and grab. I think we all know that women do not lack ambition and women do not lack ability. But there are sometimes some threads that, that kind of run through women. I don't know if somebody saw the research that came out this morning that said 57% of women have never asked for a pay rise and 57% of men have asked for a pay rise. And, and it is that kind of sense of slight lack of confidence, occasional kind of imposter syndrome. And I know I, I experienced it when I first came back from maternity leave. It, it was that nervousness around, am I sure I know what I'm supposed to do? Am I sure I'm able to do this? And, and the bank was really helpful in that it found, um, it kind of gave me the opportunity to find a mentor. And, and finding my own mentor was really transformational for me. It was that moment in my career where I had somebody else rooting for me, so somebody independently gave me a view of my career and my peers and where I sat. And it was very clear, having come back from, from maternity leave, I was not sure where I was supposed to be in the working world. 
and, and she had much more ambition for me than I had for myself. She had much more of a view of my capability than actually I did. And having that person constantly challenge me and push me that bit further really was a moment for me because it, it kind of did find that kernel of hope and it, and it grew it for me. So I think the, the question which is how do you find that person is almost, you know, don't go and ask a stranger. You know, don't go and find somebody who doesn't know you because the power of a mentor is somebody who believes in you and you believe in somebody when you know them, when you've seen them, when, when you've seen what they can do. So it's around looking around your existing network, finding people who, who know you, who see you, who see you operate and can give you that helping hand. So I think the takeout for me from today is if you've not found one, as women, it's really important that we get that external support and that external validation of what we need to do to be better. Yeah. And just to show our hands in the audience, how many people in this room mentor? <coughs> Then about a quarter, a quarter maybe of the room. <coughs> How many people have mentors? Probably slightly less. Okay. And the thing is that people are really happy to help. Yeah. You know, Northern Power Women, we are passionate about mentoring. We're passionate about passing it on, paying it forward, sponsoring. We can, and we can all do something. Sometimes we think, oh, what, what, what have I got to give? Or, or what can I offer? But we've all got some knowledge. If it's helping our next door neighbour with their LinkedIn profile or university application or whatever that may be, we can all offer, offer something. Yep. So, Julie, um, your experience around mentoring? Not dissimilar to Maria's, really. And I think my advice would be really choose your mentor carefully. Be really selective and really picky. But equally be open-minded around, you know, I've had mentors <coughs> that have been suggested that would be good for me that perhaps weren't in my top three of who I would choose. So it's about finding a balance of being really picky and selective and really clear on what you want from your mentor and being open-minded to give it a go. But more importantly for me, if it isn't quite working out, then being brave enough to say, you know what, this, this isn't working, I need to go and get a different perspective mm. from somebody different. So even though obviously I've had quite a few mentors over my career, no matter what, I've always gained something from each individual person. It might not have been what I originally intended, but I've always come away with a valuable learning experience. And I think contracting with your mentor, it sounds a bit formal, but being really clear on expectations from both sides is equally important. Um, and some, for me, being um, somebody who I can trust and be completely and 100% invested in me emotionally and me being, being able to put my soul on a plate mm -hmm. to my mentor is something that's important for me. So being able to trust that person is, is something that you know, works for me and something that is a, a given for me. And you'll have your own criteria around what's important for you and what boxes a mentor must tick. And I'd encourage you to take the time to think about that and be really choosy. I think the mental contracting is really Absolutely. interesting. Yeah. I had a meeting just before I came here today and there's a mental relationship of one of our futurists and powerless that we, we, we connected last year and they had a start and end time, which yeah. we always set out, but they choose to, if you like, extend the contract because they're both still getting that value. And it's, I think the thing about the mentoring as well, it's not about you being the best person in financial services or in human resources, it's about you being the best version of yourself, Absolutely. which then kind of fulfills. 
I'm going to move on to question two. I love, I love the mention one. Oh, I love this one. This is mine. <laughs> the old-fashioned Queen Bee Syndrome refers to some women being reticent of acting as mentors or collaborating or supporting other women and instead pulling up the ladder behind them. Shame on them. Because they perceive other women as a threat. A recent Deloitte study dispelled this, confirming that women leaders are role models and mentors to other women and girls. I agree with Deloitte. <laughs> <laughs> so I can only talk about my personal experience. And my experience, have I seen women being queen bees? Absolutely. But has that been isolated to just other women? No, it's been to anybody who they perceive as a threat. <laughs> Equally, I've seen men display queen bee syndrome to men and women. So have I seen people behave like that? Absolutely. But I haven't seen it isolated to women and women. I've seen people who generally do that for whatever reason. What I do think, though, is I've challenged my perception. I think I personally react more adversely when I see a woman doing it than a man. Why should I do that? So I think it doesn't exist, but I think we all see it more in women, and I know personally I react to it more adversely when I see a woman behave like that because I think, come on, we've all worked really hard to get there. Why are, you, why, why? why are you behaving like this? But I've challenged my own bias. Why should I expect a woman to behave differently than a man in that, in that circumstance? And it's, it's a challenging one. It's kind of, you know, challenged my perceptions of what I, what I expect. Why would I expect a woman to behave differently? Why do I react more adversely when I see a woman do it versus a man? So I think it's a, it's a different perspective, because, yeah. you know, but I know I, we were talking yeah. about it earlier, and I know Louise <laughs> is in a different perspective than me, which Go I think on, is Louise, interesting. Sure. Yeah. Queen so, to be or not to be? Well, I, I think it does exist, but thankfully it's uh, getting less and less. I think if I was thinking logically about why does it or may it exist, in my opinion, I think if I have some conversations with my mum and my nana when she was around, um, they talk about things at home, like when I, in my day, this wasn't that easy, around washing machines and things that help you in the house, you know. <laughs> so at work, when people have had a hard time in the past to get to the top of their career or whatever, it might feel unfair to them that other people have had a, an easier path and a fairer path. And that might influence why some people don't necessarily roll the red carpet out for people who are following behind them. But thankfully, I think it is reducing because that, that sisterhood and support for, for people coming yeah. through helps people in the challenges that you've got experience of and that you may have made some mistakes in your path um, along your career and you can use that experience to help others who are following the same path not make the same mistakes. Maria. Your eyes so, totally perked up at this. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I mean, I'm probably more in Julie's space in that I think it's, you know, Queen Bee is a bit of a 70s construct, you know, so actually I'm not sure it's relevant in today's world. But also I struggle with the semantics of it. So I think women, again, are labelled with this term, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. spinster and, and all the words that are so kind of, they've got negative intent. You don't hear people talking about king wasps. <laughs> and yet you do hear people talking about queen bees. So, so I... I just struggle with the kind of innate sexism that we've got a label that men don't have. Yeah. Labels are a whole other conversation. In <laughs> so in summary, I think we just recognise it more yeah. as a society when women behave like that rather than men. 
Our last question, I can't it's believe that. I don't know where this time goes on these podcasts. I, I believe that the time fairy or the time bee comes in maybe and takes <laughs> away. Uh, we all know that diversity within a workplace increases productivity, but how can we ensure individuals feel confident that their voices will be heard when they're in the minority at work? Being a single woman in the boardroom full of men or the only person of colour in a white office can be very tough. Thoughts on the panel? Louise? Um, so, uh, it might not be a surprise to people that know me, but I am quite opinionated. I like having my voice heard. And in informal conversations, I find that quite a lot easier than in more formal, say, board environments. I don't like public speaking. Um, and the board feels a little bit to me like public speaking. I think one of the things that makes me more self-conscious if I go into that room and there's something I can identify about myself that is not the same as everybody else in the room. So whether it's I might be the minority as a woman or in the past years and years at the start of my career, I worked in London, I was conscious of my accent, things like that. And I think as I've grown in my experience, I've probably worked hard to focus not on what makes me different to others in the room, but how either we've got shared experiences or where we don't, my different perspective can add value in those conversations. Uh, in terms of organisations and what they can do to help, I think it's really important that people are encouraged to share in those formal environments. Um, I've been um, a subject matter expert at invited to board meetings and, and the best chairs will make sure that you are part of the conversation yeah. and I think therefore inclusivity training for line managers, chairs of committees and boards is, is quite an important uh, must have to get this right. So somebody uh, that I worked with once was very, very good at not letting individual personalities dominate the conversation. And he'd do that by saying, I know, Louise, you'll have an opinion on this and I'd like to hear it. And not only would it give you the airtime, but you'd feel confident then that someone wants to hear what you're saying. Um, I also think that there's things you can do yourself. So I don't have a very powerful voice and sometimes in trying to project my voice can shake and wobble and I think just uh, thinking and stopping and taking that time to breathe and practicing um, can give me the confidence because once my voice starts shaking then my nerves go that sort of thing so organizations have helped me in that regard provide uh, uh, presentation training things like that um, and that's very important to have those conversations with mentors, with your line managers, to say, here are the things that I find difficult. And so um, if, you if you have a very good relationship with your line manager and you say, you know, board presentations or formal conversations are a part of my role, but I don't feel very confident about it, and here's why, you can perhaps uh, agree some training or development that... or more opportunity to make sure that that's not something that's special and therefore a big event and becomes much more part of the day-to-day -day job. But I guess the, the main thing is let's get more women in the boardrooms in the first place. Well, congratulations for being and stepping in today to be part of this. Your voice is definitely you. being heard. And I didn't hear any shaking at all. Did anyone hear any shaking? <laughs> and everyone has that fear, don't they? Yes. Everyone has that. At some point, that fear goes, oh, God, I've got to stand up and I've got to talk to either people I know or people I don't know. So, you know, it's getting over that. Maria, what are your thoughts about diversity in the workplace and having your voice heard? 
Um, so, so we've got kind of four key values that uh, support how we operate within the bank. And, and we, we try really hard, um, our, our kind of catchphrase is uh, people with purpose. That's, that's what we are and, and who we are. And I think, um, I agree with everything Louise has said, it's, it's around finding that balance between supporting yourself and taking steps to um, improve and actually asking for the support of people around you. And I think sometimes there is a real positive in being the only person who, mm. so being the only woman in the boardroom. Or the, and the positive is you have the opportunity to help everybody who's following you. So the idea is you either send down the ladder to help people join you and you do that through having networks of um, groups of people who have similar thoughts to you and who, who feel the same as you and who want to be in that place and it's about sharing uh, all of those ideas and tips and hints and, and there are some fantastic networks across the bank um, which are there specifically to encourage people. We've got Elevate which is the women's network which is, is for women and men and, and helps you really think about how you can do things differently. Anyone in the audience got any top tips of how they get their voice heard in that awkward situation? We've talked about pay rises or we've talked about you know, being in that, coming out their comfort zone. Any top tips? I'm a big fan of the Wonder Woman pose before I go anywhere. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of getting in the loo and thinking, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, breathe, 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 and then go, all right, actually, that was a good job because there's a button undone, so it's all good. Yeah. Um, but just sometimes it's that time for yourself, isn't it, yeah. to take that breath and yeah. go you know what, it's okay, I'm here, I'm here and I belong here and actually if I didn't belong here then you know, I wouldn't have been invited in or promoted or whatever that may be so actually I need to use my voice. Yeah. Julie, any top I'd tips? I'd agree or? with that. Somebody in my very early career once said this to me and it's always stuck with me and it was when I was having a panic about going into a big meeting I was like, mm. um, and they said your opinion is just as valid as anybody else's in that room. No more valid or no less valid, just as valid. So when I'm having my little moment, I, I remember that and I say my opinion is just as valid as anyone else's. So I've got, I've, you know, we've all got a voice. You should be confident enough to, to use it. So I always say that little mantra to myself um, before I'm going into a situation. Just go remember your opinion is just as valid as everyone else's. So it's important to make that opinion heard and that's good enough for me. And this is what we talk, we talk about Northern Power Women starting the conversations. If you're listening and you would like to join the conversation, please do get involved. Send us a voice memo or an email at podcast at northernpowerwomen.com or at North Power Women on socials because we would welcome your questions and we'd welcome your input. I would like to thank all of you for taking part in today's panel. I'd like to welcome me in congratulating our fantastic panel who've all used their voices this afternoon. Thank you thank so much. You. <laughs> That definitely built the, the opening the noise, didn't it? So, please, thank you so much for all uh, being involved today. Um, any questions from our audience today, from our seller panel? I've just been, I've just been gifted the, the power of time. I feel like I'm Doctor Who. And she's female, right, in Northern. Any questions from the audience? Jane, Jane Dalton, just one second. There'll be a microphone winging its your way. <laughs> 
Hello, Jane Dalton from Groundswell Innovation. I just had a question picking up on your point about your role expects you to be part of the board and to give presentations. Do you think we can do more about helping women to apply for those kinds of jobs? So not reading the job description saying, oh, if that's part of the role, it's not really for me. I don't want to be, you know, how can we encourage them to see themselves as, as worthy of that position and, and able to fulfil it? I think so. I think it's, it's a difficult one because we all have a perception, don't we, of what it's like to be in the boardroom. And I always just think it's just a meeting. And women, particularly Northern women, are really good at talking to groups of people. So I always try to remove the formality of it, but being respectful that it is a formal situation, it is a serious, but going, I'm just going to a meeting where I'm going to be discussing these things with like-minded people who are all here for the same reason, to achieve the same end goal. So for me, it's around breaking down what can look like something really serious on a job description and thinking through what is the reality and practicality of that, and it's just a meeting. Mm -hmm. Louise, I think the job advert is, is, is a critical part of it. Um, and I remember being part of a discussion in, in an organisation previously where they were reflecting that Heathrow Airport had just changed their standard wording in their adverts to use more female-friendly phrases because they were, had a, an issue there. And I think it is really important. And, and the conversation in the office talking about this, they didn't necessarily understand, but I did. Some words would put me off and some words would attract me more to that role. And I think it starts there. It helps people reading that as a woman connect. Uh, and I think then the technical details of the job and the detail of how that would look in day to day comes later. Let, let, let's try and get them attracted to the organisation and the sorts of things they'd be involved with first. And I think back, not that I'm a broken record on mentoring, but I'm back to my mentoring point, which is sometimes I don't think we are objective about our own skills and capability and talents. And actually, I think we might see a role and say, well, I definitely can't do it. And I, I know in my experience, I, I probably wouldn't have applied for some of the roles I've undertaken unless the person who I've trusted has said, you have to apply for this. And sometimes you need that support to kind of push you forward because people are very self-critical. Women, uh, as much as men, can be quite self-critical. So I think sometimes having that external view of your talent is really useful. We spoke at the uh, Northern Powerhouse Summit uh, earlier this month and one of the call-outs for Northern Power Women that we gave to the audience of 1,000, probably say 80% white men, I would say, great leaders and influencers in that room, but one of the shout outs was around, take a look, call to action to you to go back and to sponsor, take a look at that woman that is in your circle that you could have brought to this event, that you could have said, come on this panel, that you could go, why don't you lead on this at the board? It can be all manner of different yeah. things. There's no one prescriptive to solution to this. And it's not about going, oh gosh, you men are not doing this. It's not about that. It's just about saying, we just need to think differently. Yeah. We just, we're yeah. used to doing things a certain way. Yeah. And actually, let's just try and be a bit more deliberate about it and go, let's, let's have a different voice because, you know, those diverse conversations bring about better results. Any, any other questions from the audience? Yes, hello, one second. Everybody, everybody's talked about what they've learned throughout their career. Most of us, I, I for one, have got a teenage daughter and it's important to think about their career starting off and it's very difficult. 
What would you, in hindsight, tell your own 14-year-old self starting out in your career? Oh, I love that. I love that. And, 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 and if, we, if we can keep this to sort of quite, quite sort of swift answers, is it OK? I'll go first. Julie. My immediate thought is don't wait till you're 29, Julie, to get comfortable in your own skin. And don't be one version of Julie to that person, one version of Julie to that person. And it took me until I was 29 to go, you know what? This is just me and I'm presenting the same me to all of you. And some of you might not like me, but that's okay because I'm really comfortable in, in who I am. So I would say, don't wait till 29 to get comfortable in your own skin and just be, just present one version of Julie to whoever you're presenting it to. Take your whole self to work or wherever you're at. Absolutely, and yeah. And Maria? I would say two things. I'd say the first one, which I will say to my six-year-old daughter, which I say all the time, what's the most important thing in life? And it's be kind. And I think that message stays throughout your whole career. You need to be able to look yourself in the mirror and know that you have acted with integrity. And the second thing I would say, which is a kind of career-based one, is what is the worst that can happen? And, and that's the question I think we need to ask ourselves all the time. You know, so even here, you kind of walk in today to the panel discussion, you think, have I done enough prep? I'm not sure I've done enough prep for this. And then you think, actually, what's the worst that can happen? I'll have to just talk. <laughs> like I'm talking to some friends. And, and, and that's the challenge around taking risks and pushing yourself. Just, just building on that, a, a female mentor I once had when I was doing the breathing in the toilets, going, oh, I'm really worried about this. She just put a hand on and said, I know it's a bit morbid thought, when you're on your deathbed, <laughs> will you remember that you really messed up in that meeting on the 29th of January? You won't. In the grand scheme of things, do your best, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not important. <laughs> so, no morbid thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I would say be flexible in your outlook. So when I was 14, I did not want to be an accountant. <laughs> and I planned my whole life around being a marine biologist. And yet the opportunities took me in a different direction. And I think just be flexible, see an opportunity for what it is and not be too focused on a particular path so that you miss those opportunities. So, so what you've just done is dispelled all the queen bees by saying be kind, be yourself, be alive, be flexible and be yourself. So thank you all so much for the panel. Thank you all. <laughs>
this is where I need to be in a number of years and mm. this is how I'm going to get there can in some ways be a little bit of um, an impediment to allowing yourself a bit of space to see a what you're really good at so so where your skills really lie but also it can make you feel as though it's a ladder and I think that's probably the the key learning for me over the last kind of 20 years is that it's not always a ladder that that actually sometimes careers can have more 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 interest and more breadth and actually could potentially not always go in one step up mm. and, and charging for that job upwards it allows you to kind of look a bit differently so so whilst I know that Having career plans is important. It's a key part of understanding what you want to do and what you want to do next. I think sometimes starting out with a view that says, this is where I, where I want to end up, can sometimes stop you from taking those yeah. kind of left turns that end up being the left turns that are really valuable. I mean, that is fantastic advice and in theory sounds wonderful. I can imagine in practice it's sometimes harder when you think, Am I going in the right direction? Because I haven't got that clear goal. I'm sort of trusting my instinct and trusting the business around me. Were there times that you thought, I don't know where to go next? Yeah, there definitely were. And I mean, I think I, um, the, the one for me that, that, and I think this is probably the same for, for a lot of people, the, the piece where I really struggled was was kind of coming back from, from maternity leave mm. because that was the point where, what you're good at and what's really important in your life it, it you're kind of not quite sure you can still remember it yeah. so you kind of come back into a kind of corporate world for me but back into a work world and and that year has whilst it's it's developed you in different ways and it's you know a, a kind of amazing period of your life it's also to some extent knocked down your, your sense of kind of career worth because you're not quite sure where you sit anymore. So I think, I think, and I do think any senior leader who who says they've never felt that confusion or concern or slight imposter syndrome mm. is probably not being truthful. Because I think it, it, and actually, I think it's important that you say that to people because it makes them feel less alone when they're in that particular period. How did you overcome that then? So I think. Um, I think really that the, that particular point in my career, I um, I was quite blessed because I'd kind of come back to a business that was undergoing some really serious uh, changes, and it was kind of holding the mirror up to itself quite seriously around how it could become a better and stronger organisation, and I think that was quite helpful for me because parts of the the kind of my my peer group were also going through some some self um some introspection i suppose mm. um and i think it helped me to be able to understand that i could still deliver in a way that i always had and i still had some key strengths that were kind of core to me so, so it was quite helpful to get kind of thrown into some some roles and some jobs that meant I could kind of rediscover what I was good at. So so actually, I, my kind of advice to people who kind of come back in that situation is to just grab, you know, whatever complex and what feels like very challenging deliverables, just grab it and do it because it, it helps remind you of what you're very, very good at. The, the other thing that really helped me at that time was was kind of role models. Yeah. So um, that was the, the, the first time actually in my career that I'd ever had 
I suppose, a mentor or um, somebody who I could kind of go to and say, I'm not quite sure what to do next. And and that was a really important change for me. So I think, you know, I think for, for most women, it's 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 really important to have strong role models who, who give you that foundational strength to say, you know, you shouldn't question your, your capabilities, you shouldn't question your, your worth. Because you need that during those kind of slightly more confusing period in your career where you're not sure where to go and I think I think mentoring is is has proven to be probably one of the key parts in my career change that's kind of taken me from uh, a middle management up to up to an executive level is is having somebody else who is kind of invested in in the choices I make and, and giving me advice and and support through that period. So where did you find that person? Because quite all people, because quite often we're asked by younger women, I'd love a mentor. I know what difference they can make. They can be transformative when it comes to your career. How do I find that person? Yeah, and I think that's I think that is true. And and actually, I, I think again, um, it's back to that. My my message is always really. It sounds a bit depressing, but dreams aren't real. So I think you imagine this one absolutely perfect person <laughs> who can kind of walk in and, and help you define your career. And actually, I think you get it from different areas. So through through work, I was given a mentor who um, was very different to me. And I think my, my, my then line manager and my then teams had kind of suggested you need to have somebody who takes a different position to you, who yeah. could be more confrontational, who could, you know, have a different way of delivering messages because that will help you be a bit different and actually in those first interactions with the work mentor the thing that kind of struck me the most was I can remember her very clearly saying to me um, I really believe in you and sometimes just having that said to you by somebody else in in the same workplace who is in a more senior position is really empowering. Yeah. Um, at the same time, and again, you know, I happen to work for a, a very um, enlightened organisation for these things who, who are very supportive, that they'd kind of found me an external coach who I would then meet and have conversations actually not about work, but much more about me as a person and what did I think I could achieve and, and what did I want to be in life. And it, and it, it didn't contain my thinking to what my next promotion should be yeah. it was much more of a conversation around what do I want to get out of my entire world and my entire relationships and, and all the connections I have and and sometimes I think it might be that you might get some of that support from your line manager you might get some of that support from external coaches and actually you can also get it from your home kind of landscape you know you, you can have friends who actually are quite insightful on happening in in your life. I can remember a, a very close friend of mine saying to me at one, at one point in my career, "I can tell you're not happy," mm. and I was convincing myself that I was happy and it was fine, and and, and actually I, I could just keep going. And, and sometimes you can piece together that support network without necessarily waiting for that one perfect mentor to come, you know, rolling in. I want to talk a bit about the industry that you've chosen to have your really successful career in, banking and finance, because we hear a lot about gender disparity in banking. We, we hear that there's a lot of women at, at a more a junior level. There's parity there. But once you get to senior level, women are less equally represented. What's been your experience? So... I think I would agree. I mean, I think the statistics prove that more than anything else. So, so the, the data tells you that that, that is true. Yeah. And um, 
I think that's been the same for me. So, so I've been working in banking for, you know, 20, 20 odd years. And actually, I think it has been a relatively male dominated environment. And I was you know, very strongly supportive of the idea of, you know, 40% of, of women in, in management positions across the bank, because it's, whilst I understand that some people would have a view that says you, you wouldn't want um, it to be a change, actually quota-based change forces changes in behaviours yeah. that would otherwise be, you know, glacial in terms of movement. And, and my sense is that banking now is an environment that is changing. You know, there's, there's a, a number of uh, kind of senior female executives at the Cooperative Bank, and I know that, you know, we've got CEOs of key banks as, as women as well. So the industry is changing, um, and actually it's changing at quite a pace. So I think there is a real opportunity for young women um, in finance to, to kind of see themselves quite happily as, you know, CEOs of all of the, the UK banks in the future. And I don't see it necessarily as the barrier it, it once was mm. albeit we can never stop helping and supporting your women to overcome some of those barriers because some of them are slightly more structural than than just a behavioral piece yeah looking back over your career when things perhaps weren't so equal because as you said you've been in banking a long time now were there ever times when as a woman you felt your voice wasn't being heard um i think so, so, so I think it was more that you often, um, in, in certain periods in your career, you, you, you might be um, the only woman in the room, potentially, or the only woman who was making a comment about one of the issues. And I think partly that, that leads to a little bit of a legacy of, so therefore you feel as if almost you're representing a, a kind of your gender. So, so you're performance then you feel as though and, and I certainly put this pressure on myself and, and and in fairness I wouldn't have ever said that I experienced sexism from the people I work with I've, I've only ever really had a very supportive kind of peer group of colleagues but I felt as though I had to be slightly better I had to be more informed yeah. I, I wouldn't say I had to I, I worked um, in any better than in my colleagues but I, I worked harder I, I felt as though I had to demonstrate some skills that actually I'm not sure you would want to do that anymore. You want to be um, the best leader that you can be as opposed to the female leader. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting you talk about leadership there. I wonder what sort of leader are you and and how how did you learn that? Because quite often we, we hear about people wanting to be strong leaders. How did you learn how to be a strong leader? I, I, I mean, I think, um, I think it is learned. I think that's a really key message for people. So I think... You can look at people who have, you know, great histories and um, they've worked in fantastic jobs and they've had brilliant opportunities. And, and, and you watch them standing on the stage and they deliver a presentation which you think is, you know, outstanding. And, and actually, I think that all of those people need to probably admit to the world that most of that is learned behaviour. It's not some <laughs> innate leadership skill that other people don't have. And the reason why I think that's really important for people to admit is because it allows you to say to people, you can do this, you know, and actually the most important thing for me, certainly, about kind of going through the door of senior management as, as, a, as a female is to make sure it's really left open and, and you're helping other people in. It's, it's not about, you know, making it and then kind of closing the door behind you. So I think, mm. I think for me that, that leadership sense is a collection of behaviours that I think I've probably seen 
in people and around people all my life. So, you know, I would say um, my my mum, who actually is a, was a maths teacher for, for her career. That's where the love came from. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the, the deep love of maths yes. has come from, yeah. I, I would say my mum is probably the strongest it displayed the strongest leadership behaviors i've ever seen mm. and you consider her to necessarily be a leader and, and it's it's something around always having a degree of integrity about being very clear in your messaging about making sure you bring people with you but about being very cognizant of the points at which performance is not where where you would want it to be and actually you, you learn things from that and then you kind of take some of that you, you might kind of have as part of you that you then take into the workplace and when you get into the workplace you see examples of people who are fantastic leaders and you see examples of people where there are potentially gaps in their leadership toolbox I suppose mm. is probably the kindest way of saying <laughs> it and and that really helps you because that really helps you understand the person you need to be and I think you know leadership is not something that's just um if you've got the badge you are there for it I think you know I can think of examples in the last week in the last you know month yeah. where I've not I've not displayed the greatest behaviors and I, I could have performed better and it's a about that kind of continually checking yourself to the view that says, are you living up to the the benchmark that you're setting for yourself, which is I want to be the best leader that I absolutely can be. I want to be the best me that I can be. And therefore that is around making sure that you keep checking what you're doing and how you're doing it and could you doing it could you do it better? You mentioned your mother. You yourself, of course, are also a mother, as you alluded to earlier on. How do you, with the job that you have and the responsibilities you have in the workplace, how do you prioritise your time so that work doesn't always win that battle for your attention? It's a brilliant question, Sam. Thank you. And I think it's it's the question that women need to be very open to because I don't think I prioritise that very well. I think I do my best, but I think it's a hard call to make. I'm very lucky in that I've got, you know, a very supportive husband who is able to prioritise some of the childcare calls at times when I can't. And actually it works in a very supportive way, which allows me to be more flexible when I need to so that work does get the attention that it wants. I work in um, an environment where, uh, and I I would never say that the the kind of long hours are in any way expected, but part of the role is um, about making sure that you're there for your customers at the moments that they need you. And, and, Mm. And that sometimes is not able to fit in a time box. So I think the way in which I balance it is, is firstly, I don't beat myself up about it. And I try really hard to make sure that I'm not doing that. So I stop looking at my days and saying, am I comfortable that I did everything I can at work and everything I can with um, Francesca, my daughter, and everything I can with my family and friends? I don't do that on a daily basis. I try and take that view over a month or a quarter. Mm. So I'll say, did I get the balance right? last month and if I feel like I didn't I know I need to take some action about it and I think for me that works really well because it allows me to know that there are days and weeks and sometimes months where I've got the balance wrong and I'm focusing far too much on work to the detriment of of other aspects and I know I need to kind of correct that balance but I think sometimes the challenge that 
some that, that women and, and it's easy to it's easy to slip into and i've done it myself where you you're you beat yourself up around not being able to be there for a certain events or a certain moments and actually i think you know perfection doesn't really exist there's no perfect balance there's, there's no perfect way of responding to the challenge of you've got lots of competing demands for your time and i think the best answer to it is try and take a, a longer view that gives you more chance to kind of feel like you're doing everything. Some superb advice there from Maria Kearns, the Managing Director of Current Accounts and Savings at the Cooperative Bank. Big thank you to her for her time. Whose life and career would you love to know more about? Do let us know. You can email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. Now. It's time for a special Ask the Hive, a place where you get in touch with your issues or conundrums about your career and the Northern Power Women Hive Mind lends you some wisdom. This month, we heard from a listener who's concerned about whether her current low salary will stop her from moving on. She wrote, If I earn a lot less than the salary offered by a job that I'm applying for, but I know I can do that job, will my chances of getting that job be slim? Let's hear what you had to say. If you earn less than the salary that's advertised, um, you shouldn't be talking about your salary when you come forward for doing it. The reality is, talk about what your skills are. Tell people why you're suitable for the job. If you've got the requisite skills, it makes no difference what you currently earn. It, first of all, shouldn't stop you from applying for the position. So whilst the salary is obviously a reflection of the responsibilities and accountabilities you should or will hold in that role... I think in my personal experience, I've never seen that as a, as a blocker or a hurdle to, to at least get into a stage where I can have the adequate discussion with the line manager or hiring manager to ensure that, you know, I'm the right person for the job. So in answer to the question, I don't believe that should be any sort of blocker for someone who sees an opportunity to develop their career. In my opinion, when I'm interviewing people, one of the very last things I would ever take into consideration is what they're currently paid, because there are so many variables that I don't know about. I will make my decision based on the person in front of me, their experience, and their fit for the role. I worked in recruitment for three and a half years, and the experience that I had, if you have the experience there, and you can back up the experience in an interview with, with evidence, then it shouldn't make any difference about what salary you're on. So if you've got, if you're earning a lot less than the job you're applying for, it really shouldn't make a difference if you can do the job. I feel like if you know your worth and your experiences, then you should express that and you should stand up for who you are and what you believe in. And there's always going to be someone that says no to you. You need to say yes for yourself and move forward and get what you're worth, you know, worth for. So I think there's always that chance. If you take a chance, you will get something back. Maybe just don't take the chance, then you won't get anything. It's all down to how you present what experience you have that may be relevant to the job. What makes you think that you can actually do the job? Get that across in the interview, get that across in your CV to get the interview. Previous salary shouldn't really be uh, an issue. The salary is advertised based on previous experience, what a company's looking for in a candidate. If you believe you could get the job done, then you should go for it and you should discuss that during an interview process, during the um, role where you're assessed and you're also assessing the company to understand, could you do the job? Is it the right job? Absolutely do not see that as a blocker. The chances of getting the job are high. The only thing holding you back is your perception of your salary not what they're looking for in a job. So if you can do the job, apply for it. The salary is something you negotiate afterwards. 
You should absolutely apply for a job that you believe that you can do. Prepare yourself well for the interview. Go in, give all the answers that show that you have the abilities to do that role and you will absolutely be successful. An overwhelming positive response there with the message, if you believe you can do the job, go for it. Really good luck and thank you so much for getting in touch. The next Ask the Hive will be with you on our next full episode. And if you've got a question you'd like some help with, then all you need to do is get in touch. Just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. So there we go. Another episode full of great stories, advice and ideas. A massive thank you to the Cooperative Bank and a special thanks to Leslie McPherson, Director of Communications and Julie Crichton, Events and Marketing Acquisition Lead, both from the Cooperative Bank. Thank you to them for inviting us to record this special episode at their event to launch a wider partnership with Northern Power Women. And of course, big thank you to you for listening. Please do leave us your feedback and reviews wherever you get your podcasts. And do please spread the word because we would love more people to come and join in the conversation. Save the date. The next episode arrives on Monday, November the 4th. Until then, this is the Northern Power Women podcast. I'm Sam Walker, and this has been a What Goes On media production for Northern Power Women. Northern Power Women.